I'm sure that I'm not alone when I say this. I really don't like to be insulted and I don't like to be imposed upon. When I feel insulted, when I feel imposed upon, my first tendency is to avenge myself, to retaliate, to offer a taste of my offender's medicine to him or, or her. Uh, funny story, not funny, uh, trivial, I guess, but it's ap applicable here. Back when I was a senior in high school, on one particular day, I walked by a freshman girl in the hall. As I walked by her, she gave me this really disgusted look and then announced for the whole hallway to hear, those are the ugliest shoes I have ever seen. <laughs> it was out of nowhere. I, I went to a big high school. I didn't even know this girl, but I knew this. I needed to repay. Uh, so I stopped, I walked over toward her and I gave her this really intense look like I was studying her. And I said to her, given the choice between my shoes and your face, I'm thankful for my shoes. I, I know, shame, shame on me. Needless to say, my relationship with her was never the same. It was always awkward. But okay, so... I mean, the Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? This is how many of the Jews in Jesus' day interpreted that verse with the help of the scribes and Pharisees. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth means insult for insult, injury for injury, inconvenience for inconvenience, imposition for imposition. But as we have seen repeatedly in Matthew chapter five, this interpretation completely undermines the intention of this verse from the Mosaic law. As Jesus delivers his sermon on the mount, he, we've seen the last, the last several, so he's going to great lengths in verses 21 through 48 to clarify the intention of six particular laws that were being misconstrued by the people of Israel. And his clarification that he is providing is really gracious because a right understanding of God's word opens the door to right obedience and a right obedience to God's word opens the door to the good godly life to the glory of God if you haven't already I invite you to turn in your Bibles Matthew 5 our passage this morning will be verses 38 through 42 and I'll read that now Jesus says to his disciples and the crowd of Jews that have gathered on the mount overlooking Galilee you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. 
And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh God, help us to understand your word today that we might obey it to your joy, or to our joy and to your glory, but your joy as well, hallelujah, in Jesus' name, amen. So here in verse 38, Jesus preaching his, to, to his disciples, he, he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, this well-known saying is a summary of what God told to Moses in Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19. But contrary to popular interpretation, God did not prescribe this law to encourage personal vendettas and revenge. He did not prescribe this law to condone insult for insult and imposition for imposition. He prescribed this law as a guide to be used in difficult court cases. When an Israelite was found guilty of an offense, the priests and judges would use this formula, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, to determine an appropriate punishment. This law wasn't to be carried out by individuals, it was to be carried out by the court. And yet, by the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, it was being carried out by individuals. And the mantra was actually quite similar to the popular mantra today. If you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But if you insult my shoes, well, I'll insult your face. And I have every justification to do so because it says so in God's word. <clears throat> this was never God's intention, ever. I mean, in Leviticus 19, he insists, God insists, you shall not take vengeance. You shall not bear a grudge. Instead, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When you are insulted, not if, when you are imposed upon, not if, when those things happen, you must not take vengeance. Instead, you must respond as citizens of heaven with heavenly poise. And in verses 39 through 42 of our passage, Jesus unpacks that. He shows his disciples and us what it looks like to respond with heavenly poise in four different scenarios. So for the remainder of our time, today's outline is actually really simple. I have one point. The heavenly response. When we are insulted, when we are imposed upon, when we are inconvenienced, let's look at the heavenly response that Jesus lays out for us here. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. In other words, don't relate to your offenders as enemies. Instead, 
whenever possible, so long as it depends on you, relate to your offender as your neighbor. Be loving. Don't be harsh. Be kind. Don't be hateful. For citizens of heaven, revenge is not an option. Now, picture with me who Jesus is speaking to in his immediate circle right in front of him on the mount. There's Matthew, the tax collector. He had betrayed his Jewish peers by collaborating with Roman oppressors and sitting quite near to him was Simon the Zealot who had trained as an assassin to kill Roman oppressors and their allies. And yet again, in the Sermon on the Mount, we probably could have heard a pin drop as Jesus is saying these things. As far as it depends on you, Matthew the tax collector, Simon the zealot, and every one of you here in the room today, as far as it depends on you, do not relate to your offender as an enemy. Don't resist the one who is evil. And now Jesus lays out four scenarios to paint a portrait as to what this looks like. First, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. In order to understand what this means, we need to remember most people in the world are right-handed. So when a right-handed person slaps someone on their right cheek, it requires the back hand. For the Jews, a backhanded slap was painful, no doubt. It was painful, but even more, it was belittling. It was insulting. And here, Jesus says, if that happens, or when that happens, if someone gives you an insulting backhand, don't be crippled by it, okay? Don't let your house of cards just collapse right then and there. Don't be so fragile, Chris, that one comment about your shoes sinks your boat. Instead, Turn to your offender the other cheek. Now, I've heard this preached very wrongly. I've heard it explained this way. Turning the other cheek means to square up to your offender and get right in their face and dare them to hit you again. That's an earthly response. That's not what Jesus is urging here. Now, quick commercial Jesus is not urging us to subject ourselves to abject abuse, but he is urging us to respond to insults with heavenly poise, with grace and with power and with effectiveness. When that freshman girl insulted my shoes, I should have, I'm a shoe guy. It really hurt my feelings. <laughs> It's a silly illustration, and yet at the same time, I think it's an applicable illustration. I could have and should have, and I wish I would have, quickly asked God for the strength and compassion in that high school hallway to see that girl as a hurting girl, hurting for attention and affirmation. 
I should have, I wish I would have approached her like a neighbor, not an enemy. I wish I would have approached her like a big brother and just calmly, meekly offered the other cheek. Is there anything else about my outfit that you don't like? Can you imagine if I had asked that? Can you imagine if I had fought her fire, not with more fire, but water? Offering the other cheek as Jesus urges us to do, yeah, it puts us at a risk of maybe another insult, and yet doing so also carries a mysterious power to extinguish fire. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up more anger. Man, how does this relate or apply to, you know, how husbands and wives are talking to one another and they feel insulted or to our, our children or to our neighbor or coworker or classmate? What are the litany of opportunities we have to, ooh, 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 what you just said, that hurt. Oh, Lord, give me and the heavenly voice to respond as Christ would have me to respond. And with it, carry with it this mysterious extinguishing power. I don't know why I'm breaking up, by the way. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you, take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. To take someone's tunic was to take the undergarment that covered their body, kind of like their underwear. Talk about being imposed upon. For most of us, if not all of us, if someone threatens to sue us for the shirt on our back, our first and maybe second and third response is to get a good lawyer and counter-sue them right back. And yet Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't fight fire with fire. You are mine, and all the riches of my kingdom are yours. Instead, go up to your accuser and ask them if they would like your coat too. Now, I have seen the profound effectiveness of this with my own eyes. This is gonna this sound like I'm I'm virtue signaling myself. It was the day after I had a big surgery, so I was all hopped up on painkillers and the Holy Spirit, all right? But my wife, who was eight months pregnant at the time, she opened our van door and just nicked the car next to us. The owner of the car jumped out. This all happened in front of Omaha Bob's Barbecue. That's the scene of the crime. The owner of the car jumped out, got in her face, and told her he was going to press us for every penny until his car was fixed. I was post-surgery. I'm sitting in the front seat. 
I don't even know really what's going on. And when I finally put two and two together that this guy is getting in my pregnant wife's face, what was it but a miracle of the Lord? I got out of the car calmly. And between the painkillers and the Holy Spirit, I somehow, I just simply asked I show me the damage. And the damage amounted to the tiniest paint scratch I have ever seen. It didn't even look like it was from our van door. So I got out. I asked him to show me the damage. It was so insignificant. I mean, I felt embarrassed for him at the time. But instead, oh, by God's grace, by God's grace, this never happens to me because I'm a hothead. But by God's grace, I said, look, 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 look. I'm a Christian, okay? And if this Nick was truly from us, I want to make it right. I'll pay to replace your whole dang door if that's what it takes. Here's my number. Get a quote. I'll pay it. I promise you. You have my word. The next day, he called to apologize. He apologized to me. said he wasn't a believer but wanted my forgiveness. He asked me if my wife would be comfortable putting her on the phone. And I said, no, I'll tell her what you want to (laughs) say. Tell her I'm sorry. Ask her for forgiveness. No payment is necessary. It was all on me. Now, I realize not all situations work out that way. I get it. I get it. But I think we might be surprised at how many situations do work out that way. When someone wants to take the tunic, we say, okay, how about the coat as well? Just how about it? Because I belong to a king, and with him and at his right hand are endless riches now and forevermore. What is it? What is a coat to me? On a regular day, I would never have responded that way. I might actually be in jail now by the way that I probably would have responded. Listen to Paul's words carefully. Romans 12, 18 through 21. I'm going to read them. If possible, live peaceably with all beloved never avenge yourselves instead leave it to the wrath of God to whom vengeance belongs if your enemy is hungry feed him if your enemy is thirsty give him something to drink because doing so will heap burning coals on his head don't be overcome by evil instead overcome evil with good in the moments when we are insulted or imposed upon will we but trust that God's justice will ultimately prevail no matter how unjust the moment feels will we respond with such heavenly poise that our offenders will actually burn under the guilt of their own conscience and that they might see the gracious, meek, patient kindness of Christ. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. 
Now, I would bet that Simon the Zealot was reeling at Jesus saying this. Here's why. The Roman soldiers who oppressed the people of Israel were legally allowed to commandeer the Jews for 1,000 steps They were legally allowed to force the Jews to carry luggage and equipment for the distance of one mile. As we might imagine, it was insulting to be a Jew and imposed to do such work in this manner. The Romans loved it. The zealots particularly despised it. And yet, Jesus, once again, he's saying here, don't, 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 don't stop at one miles, one mile. If you're forced, don't stop. Keep going. Go another mile. Do it. Danny Aiken explains, obligation might dictate the first mile, but compassion is what inspires the second mile. For citizens of heaven, the second mile is a gospel mile. The second mile is the, I willingly serve you because Jesus has so willingly served me mile. And in the process of going that extra mile, the power structure is mysteriously reversed. I mean, how can someone think that we are under their power when we, when we willingly stick around to serve them? You can't enslave a willing servant. Later in the book of Matthew, as Roman soldiers lead Jesus to Golgotha to be crucified, they commandeer him and force him to carry his own cross for about a mile. They also commandeered Simon the Cyrene. But we must remember this, not for a second, in all of Jesus and all of the crucifixion account, not for a second is Jesus ever under Roman authority. He is God. He had come to carry his cross to Golgotha. And his heavenly poise throughout the whole ordeal is what leads a Roman centurion to look upon Jesus' crucified body and finally say, surely this was the Son of God. I say all that to highlight something here. In Jesus telling us to go the gospel extra mile, he isn't urging us to do something he hasn't already done himself. If anyone forces you to go one, go two. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. For most Jews in the first century, it was better to die than to beg. So, When a Jew would subject themselves to begging or borrowing, it was out of genuine desperation. In 21st century America, that isn't always the case. There are plenty of beggars and borrowers who simply refuse to roll up their sleeves and get to work. This sermon isn't about that. This sermon is about this. 
even though amongst us in 21st century America is what I just explained, we mustn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We mustn't give in to the heart of vengeance and regard all beggars as imposers who need to be taught a lesson. When we repay insult for insult, imposition for imposition, inconvenience for inconvenience, when we do that, when we retaliate, we have bought the lie that we have a better grasp on justice than God does. And the justice we serve is better than the justice God will serve. When we repay insult for insult or imposition for imposition, we have failed to remember and to believe the gospel. Oh my word. Jesus, on account of our rebellion, he was slapped on the right cheek and then the other and mocked and spat on. And though he had and has all authority in heaven on earth, he turned the other cheek repeatedly. He kept silent before his accusers and allowed himself to be crucified as payment for our sin. After Jesus surrendered his life and his body was lowered from the cross, his garments were gambled over. Not even a tunic was kept by the Son of God. And all of this orchestrated by God that his glory might be shown to beggars who have each of us slapped him on the cheek, stripped him of his tunic, commandeered him to go the extra mile, and he did so to bestow to us beggars the riches of forgiveness and freedom and eternal life now and forever. When we fail to do as Jesus is asking to maintain a heavenly poise when we are insulted and inconvenienced and imposed upon, are we not forgetting the gospel? We've done all of those things to Jesus. In and of our fallen selves, like the scribes and Pharisees and Jews that surrounded Jesus on the mount, we aren't able to respond to insult and imposition with such grace. In and of our fallen selves, we're not able, but we have not been left to ourselves. Christ is risen, and he has filled us with his Holy Spirit, which means we can and must learn to regard our offenders, not as enemies, not as enemies, Lord, but as neighbors insofar as it depends on us. Because like us, our offenders deserve swift judgment, but in Christ, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Lord, write that on the back of my eyelids every time I feel as though I've been insulted. Every time I feel like I'm being imposed upon. Every time I feel like I'm being inconvenienced by the beggar on the street, wherever I would find him or her. Lord, give me this outlook. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
And who am I to lay down judgment as if I have a better grasp on justice than the just one? If you can echo that prayer, pray it with me and trust this. Look, Jesus is not telling us here to not care about justice. There are wrongs that are done every day. There are injustices every day. He's not telling us not to care. But insofar it depends on us and we are the recipient of injustice. Insofar as we are able to take on a heavenly poise purchased and granted to us by Jesus himself and to relate with our would-be enemies as neighbors as long as we have the opportunity that they might taste and see the goodness of Christ. Now listen to what Jesus promises us. This is the gospel as it relates to retaliation and revenge. We all are due God's retaliation. But Jesus says, John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, listen to this, whoever hears my word and whoever believes my Father who sent me, whoever does that has eternal life. And listen to this, you will not taste judgment ever because I have brought you from death to life. May we look at the moments, and they may even occur today after we leave this place, but may we look at and consider the moments when we are insulted, imposed upon. May we consider how much we have been pardoned from, how patient and long-suffering God has been toward us, how undeserving we have been and are of all of those things. And now how much more can we extend the very same thing? And by God's grace, our offenders will be saved. They'll come to a knowledge of Christ and they'll see that by his death and resurrection, that we are each of us being brought in as beggars and clothed with all the riches of God, both now and forever. Let's pray together and then we'll sing. Oh Father, when I naturally come to your word with a hardened heart, what Jesus has said today just absolutely makes no sense. And left to myself, left to ourselves, we could not do this. But you have, Jesus, you have called your disciples and us to a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees and that righteousness is only made possible by your gift. By faith you have granted to us a righteousness that is perfect that does exceed the scribes and Pharisees. And now, by the gift of your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to walk in it. Help us to grow up into this righteousness. The next time we feel offended, insulted, or injured by our spouse in a way that just hurts, oh Lord, give us the ability to know and to believe and to trust and to act on, oh, mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. Give us that ability and Lord, help us to taste 
the harvest from it. Be glorified in this. And I pray, Lord, that as we leave the schoolhouse today, that however many of us, we all leave as little peacemakers, God going out into the city of Worcester to radiate, to radiate the mercy and grace that we have been shown. And Lord, may it soften, may it save. For your glory and for our joy, we pray this. In Jesus' name, amen.